Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. You're listening to the best of Sports Business Radio as we take a week off and bring you some of our best conversations from the past year. In segment two, you're going to hear my interview with Pete Carroll, the head coach of the USC football Trojans. That conversation took place last October. I was actually down in Los Angeles, spent a few days with Mr. Carroll and the USC football program. Enlightening conversation from one of the best football coaches in all of college football. That's coming up in segment two, Pete Carroll. In segment three, Jeff Ma. You may not know the name, but if I told you that he was the focal point of the motion picture 21, starring Kevin Spacey and Lawrence Fishburne, you might recall who he is. He's the guy who took Vegas for millions of dollars, and his life was turned into a major motion picture. Stay tuned for that conversation with Jeff Ma in segment three. And then in segment four, Bill Polian, one of the brightest minds in all of the NFL. He's the GM of the Indianapolis Colts. He's the guy who picked Peyton Manning over Ryan Leaf and has assembled one of the best rosters in all of the NFL. Bill Polian, GM of the Indy Colts. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Enjoy the best of Sports Business Radio. We'll be back with you next week with a live edition. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. It's the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry. The Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is USC head football coach Pete Carroll. So, Coach, you came here in 2000, and when you came to USC, the program was kind of mired in mediocrity. Obviously, you've done some great things to turn it around. When you first came to USC, what was your vision for this program and to get it to where it is today? Well, we were... We were clear in, in uh, that there was great potential here. And uh, so I settled on a thought that we wanted to do things better than it's ever been done before. And we thought that we'd hold on to that and everything that we we're doing, whether it was recruiting or teaching or coaching or technology, you know, from, from A to Z, do it better than it's ever been done before. And so to do that, you have to uh, 
you, you know, you have to be relentless. I mean, you, you can't just do that sometimes. You have to do it all the time. So the central theme in our program, which I think represents what I feel most strongly about, is, is competition. And so we created an air of competition in everything that we were doing and, and uh, that would keep us kind of on a, in a pursuit of uh, a competitive edge, you know, just like relentlessly. And so uh, we've, been, uh, we've been on that ever since. It's been a, a, a great charge for us, and, and it's kept us on track throughout. Now, you pursued this job, and you had coached in the NFL. Why did you want to come back to college, and why did you not choose to stay with an NFL job? Well, the... <laughs> The uh, the college season comes up first in coaching, you know, because the, the games were and the seasons were over earlier. And uh, when a couple opportunities were out there, and you know, I went after them to see if I could you know, generate some interest. And uh, SC was because of Daryl Gross. I had, had some relationships with uh, him from back in the days as of the Jets, and, uh, and and they were interested. So we started talking, and, and one thing led to another. This is a great program, you know. It's a great school, and all of that. It's, it's one of the best in, in the country, uh, you know, historically. And I'm a California guy, and there aren't very many jobs in California. And uh, as we started to you know, put it together and see what it was all about, it just w- looked to be a great opportunity. I've always wanted to know someone who sits in your seat. You've coached in the NFL. You've coached in college. We've seen guys like Steve Spurrier and Nick Saban go to the NFL. They've had a difficult time. Charlie Weiss is having a tough time at, at Notre Dame right now. What, what is more difficult, coaching in the NFL or coaching in college, in your opinion? I think coaching in the NFL is much more uh, complicated. I, I, th- I think it's the uh, the scrutiny um, that follows you and, and the um, the speed of the of the evaluation process is just a high speed, and, and uh, you have no time. And I think the tolerance um, by those that follow you that create the momentum for the pressure and the stress and and the uh, uh, you know just the evaluations uh, is such that you just have to hit it right or you're done. And uh, it's very, very difficult. I mean, just look how many guys have, have been able to sustain. There's very few guys that can maintain the jobs. You know, they, they come and go all the time. And so uh, I think that that causes a lot of problems for you. Uh, if you don't have a quarterback, you're dead, you know, and, and, and it's, it's some, some really simple issues. And there's not much you can do about it sometimes. Uh, the, the job I found was much more difficult because you had to share the leadership position and, and the philosophical approach to things uh, much more so, which does not at all enhance or behoove the, the job that you're trying to do as a leader of a program or the, the so, so-called leader of the program. When You have to do it the best way that you can, and if, when you're representing other people and other thoughts, it's very, very challenging. It's very frustrating. So this is different here, and, and it's, much, it's a much cleaner line of uh, – of leadership and and, uh, and and authority and all of that, and it's made uh, my job way easier and, and much uh, much more fun, and, and I've enjoyed it a great deal more. My guest is USC head football coach Pete Carroll. Coach Carroll, uh, pretend I'm an elite athlete. You're coming into my living room. You're going to be talking to me and my parents. What are the two or three things that you're going to tell me to sell me on USC's football program? Well, the the process of recruiting isn't a one-time sit-down. It, it, it takes a long time to get through the information, but there are a, a few elements that, that that we try to you know that we consistently return to. This is an extraordinary university. It's a private institution right here in just the, the hotbed of all that's going on in the world of business for the entire Pacific Rim. One of the tremendous uh, media centers of, of the world, um, and, and it's got so much visibility in in what you do and what you can create out of here that it's it's an extraordinary extraordinary place to go to school. Um, the, the fact that it's a private school, smaller, and, and you know, 16,000 you know, regular students makes this a small campus setting, yet you're still playing on a large you know, uh, BCS level of football. 
Um, the other part of it is that our football has been very successful, and it's been successful, and uh, in, in it gives you the, the players an opportunity to really exercise everything they would ever want to do in the sport. We've reached the, the heights of, of national championships. We've, we've seen our players be recognized nationally with the Heismans and all of the, the national uh, awards that they can, they can, you know, can generate. Uh, we've had uh, an opportunity to do all that, but more importantly than just being able to do it, we've done it over a long period of time, and we've been very successful for, for a long haul, which is really you know, part of the fabric of this program. And, and I think the, the final thing is that um, when you're in our program, you're going to be in a program that is designed to try and create this to be an extraordinary experience for you. I don't want this to just be football you know, and that's it, and I don't want it to just be academics and that's it. I want it to be all of that, and then much more with the experience of how we go about the things that we do. If we're not having fun, I'm messing it up. I'm making mistakes. I'm, I'm, I'm not on track. This should be a fun, uh, filled of, of excitement and changes and, and, and new stuff and challenges to, to, uh, to our kids in, in every way, not just on the football field, not just academically, but how they handle themselves and how they deal with the world around them. Uh, so, uh, and then the final thing that, that you know I like to get across is it's not too good to be true. This is really happening. It really is the real deal, and we're doing it for the right reasons, and with caring for people and loving them as they go through our program, and loving them as they leave, and taking care of them throughout. Uh, with I think in a manner that that I know separates us in some degree, and I hope makes it a very very unique experience. You've built a tremendous program here. Uh, what are the two to three uh, core philosophies that you have for leadership? You're a tremendous leader. Well, I, I think it, you have to know where you're going and who you are to do this and, and to do it really well. Um, you know, I need to be really consistent about what I represent as the leader of, the, of this program. And in that, I try to model our kid, to our kids uh, you know, a really committed, strong, um, all-encompassing belief about who we are and how we do this. Um, that that's what's most important. I think when people sense that somebody has a really good feel for who they are and what they're doing, it's easier to listen to them. It's easier to follow them. And then as you build on the successes and you give them the examples of where they can go that are real, real life things, and then they don't question, you know, the authority. They don't question the direction. And there, then they follow and they they are able to allow themselves to be led. Well, that that's that's. I think it comes from a, just a general sense. And I have to do a really good job of staying on task all the time. You know, I just can't ever shut down. I can't ever have a bad day. I can't ever waver from the main line of how we operate and expect them to, to you know, totally commit and be, you know, be thoroughly uh, behind everything that we're doing. So uh, that's with energy. That's with commitment. That's with consistency. That's with uh, making sense to them, doing sensible things. Don't, don't throw them curveballs where they don't know what's going on or what's happening and give them a sense that we're really on course where they don't have to even ever be concerned about that stuff. They just need to excel. You mentioned earlier one of the, the main points to recruit is Los Angeles and all the opportunities that are here. There's no NFL team here, and I would imagine because there's no NFL team, maybe you're a little bit more under the microscope than you would be if there was an NFL team. You've been so successful. Um, I think this is an extraordinary community. Uh, yeah, we, have, we, we don't have the professional football team, but we have great professional sports here with the Dodgers and the Lakers and the Angels and all that's going on with the Ducks and everybody. You know, we, we have great fan base. Uh, their expectations are maybe a little bit different than a, a small town college setting in different states of the, around the country. But uh, we, we have an extraordinary following. We're, we're 92,000 every game. We're selling out the Coliseum for the first time ever last year, you know, for the entire year. Uh, we have the L.A. Times with front page L.A. Times whenever anything's going on one way or the other. And all, all of that, 
does bring a, a focus that's that's unique and that's special and that we love that we have this opportunity. You know, if we were getting our butt kicked all the time and weren't doing any good, it'd be horrible. But the other side of it, it's awesome that we have this. And, and our entire program benefits from that. You know, we're all over the nation with, with what we're doing. It's not just a local deal. We're, we're a nationwide program that everybody hears about and knows about. Last question. Uh, obviously, you've built something very special here. I know you've had uh, opportunities to go back to the NFL. Is this your dream job, or is there something else out there on the horizon that you'd like to do at some point in your career? Well, I don't. I've thought about it a lot and, and had opportunities to you know, entertain the, the ideas of going. The makeup of this job is so unique for me that that I, I don't see anything ever matching it. So, in my mind, I've settled my mind clearly that I'm staying here and I don't want to go anywhere else. That the the makeup is so clean in that it's you know I'm in charge of all phases of it. I run the whole thing. I don't have to you know defer to anybody to 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 make a choice on what's going on here as long as we stay out of trouble we're, we have no problems and so uh, that's that's a very clean slate for me and there's 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 too much ownership there's too much uh, uh kind of leadership already in existence in other other teams in the nfl that you have to deal with and, and i don't I, I don't i know there's no other situation that matches this so i'm i'm loving it I'm, I'm thrilled to be here i'm not going anywhere i've said the same thing for seven years and i'll get asked the same questions again at the end of this year and i won't have any problem answering because i know i know clearly what i'm doing coach congratulations on your success and thanks for taking some time today all right you got it. you're listening to sports business radio we'll be right back Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Business Radio. My guest is Jeff Ma. He's with ProTrade.com. He's the focal point of the new major motion picture 21 starring Kevin Spacey, Lawrence Fishburne and Kate Bosworth. It's in theaters on March 28th. Jeff, I know you're extremely busy this month, so thanks for taking the time to join us. No problem, Brian. I always got time for you. Thank you very much. You're a big star now, so I'm flattered that you still have time for us. Hey, take us back. The people who aren't familiar with you, take us back to the origins of Bringing Down the House, which is the best-selling book it really brought your story of bringing Las Vegas to its knees to life. How did the book come about? Uh, actually, it was uh, almost a collaboration between myself and Ben Mesrick, the guy that wrote it. Um, I approached him and said, hey, Ben, I've got a great story because I had been a professional card counter for the period of about uh, six, seven years. And I thought it's, the story would make for a great book. So I talked to him about it. He said, uh, I don't know. I've kind of heard you know, the similar pitches, things like that. 
But then I took him out to Vegas with me, and he said, God, we got to write this book. So he took it to his publisher. He sold the book. Um, the next thing we knew, Kevin Spacey attached himself as uh, for the movie, and then and the next thing we know, you know, seven, six, seven years later, it's actually going to be a major motion picture coming out March 28th. So when he talked about wanting to write the book, you said you took him out to Vegas. What did he see in Vegas that made him say, wow, this is an amazing book in the makings? Um, he just saw us. So we were professional card counters, and we would go into a casino, and we'd be rock stars there, and they'd give us anything we want, but yet we'd walk away with hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, by using math to beat blackjack, and that was our gig. So I think that that impressed him enough, especially since he saw the dichotomy in our lives where we were sort of MIT kids by day, and then by night we were these rock stars in Las Vegas. How did this MIT card counting uh, team come about? I mean, were you just sitting around one day and someone taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, look, uh, I, you know, I've seen the clips for the previews. It Was it that simple? Um, you know, it was kind of just that simple, except it was really not so much as they recruited me. It was something that, you know, uh, my friends were doing or my friends of friends were doing. And finally, with my roommates and my roommates were leaving every weekend to go to Vegas. And I was just like, God, where are you guys going? And they said, we're going to Vegas. I said, well, can I come? And they said, well, only if you learn the system. So I eventually learned the system and so I could go to Vegas with them on weekends. And then um, eventually that led to you know them telling me how much money they were making. And I said, gosh, this sounds too good to be true. Sign me up. Let's talk about this system for a minute. Obviously, you're a numbers guy. You've done consulting with the Portland Trailblazers. Obviously, you've got ProTrade.com. Uh, numbers, what can they do for you and how did they work for you in Las Vegas? Um, well, basically, blackjack is the only game in the casino which is subject to continuous probability, meaning what you see impacts what you're going to see. And what we were able to do over the course of um, roughly seven years is, is use that notion because when there's a lot of high cards left in the deck, it's in the dealer's favor. When there's a lot of low cards left in the deck, I'm sorry, when there's a lot of high cards left, it's in the player's favor. When there's a lot of low cards left, it's in the it's in the uh, dealer's favor. So. All you're doing is tracking the number of low cards to high cards that are left in the deck and then betting accordingly. My guest is Jeff Ma. He's with ProTrade.com. He's the focal point of the new major motion picture, 21. It's in theaters on March 28th. Jeff, I've seen the clips for the movie. It looks like a tremendous cast. How much input did you have and how much time did you spend on the set of the making of this movie? Um, I was there actually a few days, uh, probably maybe two weeks total. I have a cameo in the movie, um, which was so much fun to do. Um, I'm in there for about, about, you know, acting debut is about three or four minutes. They're, they're going to nominate me for a new Academy Award, <laughs> best, actor, best actor in a movie for less than two minutes. And, uh. Uh, but no, it was a blast to do. And, you know, I would always, you know, just being there and having the director ask me for advice and ask me, you know, how, how would I say this or what would I do here and that kind of thing. It was just an amazing experience, and you know, I, I, you know, I can't thank the the studio enough for getting me involved. Well, I got to ask you this, and if it's too personal, just uh, tell me to butt out. But it sounds like you butt and out. Ben wrote this book. Well, then, does does the movie studio do they buy the screenplay from you, or do they collaborate? Like, do you make any money off of this, or are you just getting yeah, to enjoy I make a the ride? Bit of money. I, I, I make a little bit of money. I mean, it's it's, it's more Ben's story, the book, as far as, and he makes a little bit more. But it's sort of it's sort of not about that to me. It's about the notoriety I could gain from it, and the other things that I could do from it. 
um, you know, nobody makes a lot of money in movies except for actors and directors in the studios. The actual author, Ben, doesn't make that much. And, and Ben and I have, a, 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 you know, a deal where the more books that sell, the better that it is for both of us. So we're all in this together. So you just mentioned it opens up some doors by being in the movie. It gives you some notoriety. What are some of the things that you'd like to do? If you could parlay this into something else, what would that be? Um, you know, I really don't know. Like, I haven't thought it that through strategically. I'm just kind of looking at what happens. You know, if someone offers me an opportunity to do this or do that or, um, you know, I'll just kind of weigh it all. I've had some opportunities already presented to me, and I'll continue to weigh them all. You know, right now I'm very focused on pro trade and, and also something we're doing on pro trade called Double Play TV, where you actually can go there right now and you can actually see, um, you know, how we beat the casino for millions. So Bill James, I'm sure you know who Bill James is. He's a uh, full-time employee of the Boston Red Sox. He's a numbers guy. What if the New York Yankees or some team, I know you're a Boston guy, the New England Patriots, one of your favorite teams called you on the phone tomorrow and they said, you are a number savant. We want to hire you full-time to come work for our organization. Is that something that would interest you? I don't think I would. I don't think I would leave to go work for an organization. I love you know, working with teams. But unless I was really heavily involved with the ownership group, I think it's difficult to work for a team and to really get the make the impact that I would want to make. Let's talk and more. I know, that, and I know that's probably a very unpopular thing to say, given the fact that if you'd asked me four years ago if I had a chance to work in sports before I started Pro Trade, I would have jumped. That's the opportunity to be a peon or an intern in a company. Well, things change, and you get to appear in movies, and uh, you got a lot more opportunities at your uh, disposal than you had a few years ago, right? Yep, absolutely. So let's talk more about the movie. It opens March 28th. Uh, give us the highlights of the movie. What should people expect when they go into the it's, theater I mean, to watch it's, this movie? It's just, it's just a lot of fun. It's like the, it's your opportunity to, to you know, feel like you're beating the house just like we did. I mean, we beat the house, and we were the few we were few people that beat the house. You know how it is when you go to Vegas, flight out there, everyone's happy, everyone's cheering, but then the flight home, everyone's sad, and everyone's hungover because they lost. Well, we were the few people that actually left Vegas feeling like winners, and I want everyone who sees that movie to feel that same way. And it's just a really fun movie. I think most people will leave it excited. Um, I just talked to someone from the studio, one of the presidents of the studio, and he watched and felt like he was hoping that it'll be this generation's risky business. That's interesting. That's a great comparison. And, you know, I got to say, just from seeing the clips, Lawrence Fishburne looks like a pretty uh, good bad guy in this movie. Oh, he's a wonderful bad guy. I actually screened the movie sitting next to him. So the whole time as he was hitting the character that was based on me, he was laughing, and I thought that was a little weird. And was Kevin Spacey, you mentioned earlier in the interview, was he the first person on board? Because he's a great name. Obviously, if you get him involved, maybe it gets Fishburne and Kate Bosworth and people like that on board. Yeah, he, he attached himself to the project really early, which was great for us. And, um, you know, him attaching himself to the really just gave it the, you know, the validity and the it just made it a lot more real. So when I had you on last time, we talked about your life, and you alluded to it a little bit. Uh, you know, you were going to Vegas on the weekends. But, I mean, you, I think you told me in one of the previous interviews you were dating an NFL cheerleader. I mean, again, this is sexy stuff. Give us a taste of what your life was like when you were going through this. It really just was a blast. I mean, I, I dated an NFL cheerleader. 
I had two-floor suites at hotels. I had VIP everything in Vegas. And then the one thing that's so funny and that ca it captures so well is I had a duality in my life where back in Boston I was just a normal guy. But in Vegas I was a rock star who could – you know, at one point, I remember I went to go see a fight, and I met a bunch of the Knicks. And then when I went to go the, to the fight, I shook hands with Alan Houston and Patrick Ewing and John Thompson, the uh, the co former coach of the Georgetown. I shook hands with them as I was walking in the fight and then walked 20 rows in front of them to my seats. Oh, my gosh. So you're sitting in front of them. So did you use different names when you were in Vegas every weekend, or did you have the same name and you were known by that name? No, we used different names. We used all sorts of pseudonyms. So we definitely did our fair share of, uh, of you know, aliases and whatnot. And without giving away the ending to the movie, uh, how were you guys ultimately discovered here? Um, well, it just, it's, not a, it's not a difficult thing for them to figure out once they have a clue that it's happening. So there was eventually a detective who was some, the Lawrence Fishburne character who followed us around and figured it out. And then, I mean, did you have to give any money back, or was it just, no, hey, you're no, just banned keep, from Vegas? We got to keep all the money, but I don't want to give away the ending for the movie, so you'll see what happens. Last question. Give a plug for the movie. If people want to find out Showtime's online, if they want to get the website, how do they do that? Uh, well, March 28th it comes out, and, um, you know, it's, it's going to be about in pretty much every city that needs to be. It's going to be a very wide release. So they can go to 21-movie.com to uh, get all the information about it, and it comes out March 28th. And is the premiere in Las Vegas, I would imagine, right? Yeah, the premiere is in, in Las Vegas March 12th, next Wednesday. And where are they doing that, at the Hard Rock or anywhere? They're doing it at Planet Hollywood. Planet Hollywood. Well, Jeff, I know you've got lots going on. Good luck with the debut of the movie. Thanks for taking time to join us here on Sports Business Radio this week. Okay, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton's serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one -on -one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Bill Polian. He's the president of the NFL's Indianapolis Colts. He's a five-time winner of the league's Executive of the Year Award. Bill, I know you're very busy this week. Thanks for making some time to join us. Glad to do it. 
you know, you look at your football resume, and uh, it's just incredible. You built a Buffalo Bills team that appeared in four straight Super Bowls. You helped guide the Carolina Panthers to the NFC Championship in only the team's second year of existence. And now you've built a Colts team that has won 12 or more games every year since 2003. By the way, that's an NFL record. You added a Super Bowl victory to your resume when the Colts beat the Chicago Bears in last year's Super Bowl. How sweet was it to finally climb to the top of the mountain after being so close previously? Well, it, obviously it's always very nice to win, and um, it's, um, it's great to uh, have the ultimate experience. I joked with the commissioner when I got on the, on the podium for the victory presentation that, um, you know, I didn't know what to do up there because I'd been <laughs> in the other locker room so long. Oh, uh, gosh. But... Uh, uh, yeah, I felt best for all of the people here in this organization who, you know, had not had a lot of success over time, and 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 we we we've come in and had really pretty quick success. Um, we were thirteen and three our second year here, and then and then failed to make it to the big game for for a period of time. So I really felt good for them that it, that that they finally got the opportunity. To, to feel like it, what it was like to get there. I'd been there before. <laughs> you know, the thing that's most impressive about your organization to me is that everyone seems to be on the same page from the top to the bottom, football operations and business operations. As the person who oversees the entire Colts organization, share with us, if you would, maybe your two to three main philosophies for success, because you've obviously had success wherever you've been. Well, I think the first thing you have to recognize is what it takes to win is simple, but it isn't easy. Um, it, it's it's very difficult to stay the course and to do the things that it takes to win on a on a regular basis um, when you when you don't succeed on a continual basis. And by that, I mean winning the Super Bowl on a continual basis, because um, in our culture. Uh, in the National Football League culture these days, um, if you're the Super Bowl loser, you might as well be three and thirteen. There, there's no differentiation in the public mind and in the media mind uh, b- between the loser of the Super Bowl and the worst team in the league. Uh, I've often said that, uh, for example, when the St. Louis Cardinals were swept by the Boston Red Sox in Boston's miracle season uh, a couple of years ago. Um, the, the Cardinals were not considered, uh, you know, a, a, a pitiable loser. Right. Uh, whereas the the loser of the Super Bowl almost always is. So um, you got to stay the course, and you and you got to recognize that perseverance is is perhaps the most important thing you can have in this business. And then ultimately, you have to recognize that it's the the product on the field that. That's what drives everything, and that what you have to do as an organization is do everything you can to support that and to make sure that that the people who have to do the playing have every opportunity to win. It's important that we make a profit. It's important that we maximize our opportunities to uh, 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 generate revenue because that's what ultimately puts the product on the field. But we also have to recognize that uh, winning and losing is, is really what drives the train. My guest is Bill Polian. He's the president of the NFL's Indianapolis Colts. Bill, let's talk about the playoffs for a moment. Uh, last year, the Colts were a three seed in the AFC. You went all the way and you won the Super Bowl. This year, you're a two seed. But 
because the Patriots have had this undefeated season, I almost get the sense, even though you're the uh, defending Super Bowl champs, you guys are kind of flying under the radar. Is that kind of a good thing, maybe low expectations? Well, I don't know about expectations, but we like being under the radar. Uh, the, the fact that uh, we're, we're not a uh, 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 under the microscope every single day is a good thing from our perspective. And, uh, and we're very happy to be uh, a below-the-radar team and let our, let our play and do the speaking for us. Well, and any team that has Peyton Manning on it, I'm definitely not betting against that team. You know, you joined the Colts organization in 1998. One of your first moves was to draft Peyton Manning with the number one pick. Since then, Peyton's really become the face of the NFL. He's one of the league's most marketable players. What is it about Peyton Manning that sets him apart from everyone else, both on and off the field? Well, I, I can't speak for the marketing sides of it other than to say that his non-football personality, meaning when he's not preparing for or playing a game, is is not unlike what you see on some of the commercials. Mm-hmm. That, that sort of um, uh, funny, uh, kind of offbeat sense of humor comes through, and that's the way he is when he's not in a game preparation mode. Um, what sets him apart on the field is that I've never seen a player in my career uh, who prepares as hard and as diligently and as consistently as Peyton Manning. He watches more tape than most coaches. Um, he's, he's got notebooks full of material on every player he's played against. His, his preparation is absolutely meticulous. Uh, he leaves no stone unturned. He'll do anything that it takes to win, and he does it uh, 11 months a year. Uh, we have to really work hard to slow him down in the off season because uh, uh, you want him to get away from football some, and you want to certainly rest his arm. And 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 he's back here uh, on April 1st and, and raring to go, just like as though it was October 1st. So uh, his work ethic and his preparation is unparalleled. I've got to ask you this question because I've always wanted to ask it. I remember back in 1998, there was the debate between Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. And now we look back and it's almost laughable that there was even a debate. Obviously, you made the right decision, but in your heart of hearts, was there ever even a little bit of a thought as to maybe taking Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning? Well, we had to do our due diligence. We weren't going to accept the fact that uh, conventional wisdom said that uh, Ryan Leaf was the better player. Um, when we began the process, I think there was a split camp even among our scouts. As we got to the end, it was pretty obvious that Peyton was going to be the better choice for any number of reasons, not the least of which was his work ethic and the fact that he'd been in school for four years and was really prepared to come in and take over the job of being a quarterback in the National Football League, albeit the fact that he was we knew he was going to struggle as a rookie. Everyone does. But, um, you know, I think he was far more prepared than Ryan at that point in time. And uh, the conventional wisdom, of course, was just the opposite. But what shocked me as we went through the process and speaks to why the process is so important is that, the conventional wisdom was so often wrong. Uh, all you heard was that Ryan Leaf had a much stronger arm than Peyton Manning. When you actually measured them, that was not the case at all. In fact, it was the reverse. Peyton's arm was stronger. Uh, you heard that uh, Ryan was the better athlete. 
Um, that wasn't true. They were at least equal, and there were some people who would make the argument that Peyton was better uh, in terms of uh, uh, being a, a, quote, product of the system. Uh, I, I don't know what that meant. Uh, right. He didn't play in our system in college. Right. And and the system at Tennessee hasn't been as efficient since he left. So exactly. I, I, I don't I don't know what that meant. And finally, the fact that he he was not going to be any better uh, at at twenty eight or twenty nine than he was at twenty one. Well, at twenty eight he set a record for touchdown passes thrown in the NFL. So it, it proves once again that. You need to do your homework. You need to turn over every rock. You need to apply the appropriate standards and metrics and, and judge people based on objective standards and, and not pay any attention to the conventional wisdom. You know, you talk about doing your homework. You are probably one of the most keen talent evaluators in the history of the NFL. I look at some of these gems that you've uncovered in the draft. You get uh, wide receiver Reggie Wayne in 2001, defensive end Dwight Freeney, who a lot of people said was too small in 2002, tight end Dallas Clark in 2003, Bob Sanders in 2004, and then Joseph Adai to replace Edger and James in 2006. You've built your team largely through the draft and not so much through free agency. Maybe talk about that philosophy for a moment, if you would. Well, part of that is economically driven um, because we have hit on so many number one draft choices and high choices, and because we have so many stars, um, we don't have a lot of cap room left over when you pay those players to go and get involved in free agency. That's point one. Point two is, we, we would much prefer as an organization to grow our own because we think that when a player comes in here at 21 or 22 years of age and, and develops in our culture and does things the way we want to do things and learns how to practice the way we want to practice and prepare the way we want to prepare and to play the way we want to play, which speaks to penalty avoidance and, and, and lack of flamboyancy and team at work ethic and things of that nature, that we're better off with that player than, than bringing somebody in from outside who thinks that somehow or other he's going to graft his personality uh, or that, that we're going to adjust to his personality. Um, it, I, I think you, you, you're probably barking up the wrong uh, tree when you do that. Now, we've had some limited success in free agency. Brandon Stokely comes to mind uh, as a player that really was a, came in here as a free agent and contributed. But we've had... Um, probably little or no success with high-ticket free agents. Uh, Really the only one that I can think of that uh, comes to mind off off the top of my head is Chad Bratsky, who really was a guy that we wanted to bring in here to try and create the kind of winning atmosphere that we needed um, on the defensive side of the ball. So bottom line is the combination of cap room and, and you might say corporate culture leads us uh, to grow our own rather than, than, than go in the free agent market. Just a few minutes left. Uh, the Colts are going to begin play at Lucas Oil Stadium starting this fall. I read where the stadium cost is estimated at $675 million. Looks like you're going to seat about 63000 for football. It can be refigured uh, to 70000 for things like the NCAA Final Four. Talk to me a little bit about this new stadium. Uh, the renderings I see, it looks like it's a fantastic facility. Well, it is going to be a great facility. It's uh, it's uh, very modern, retractable roof, um, but yet uh, like Conseco Fieldhouse, which is our um, 
wonderful basketball arena here in Indianapolis. It's uh, in some ways retro, too. has a retro look and feel to it, uh, which is uh, speaks to uh, nostalgia and speaks to the uh, golden age of sports and sort of speaks to what the Midwest is about. And uh, and so it will fit perfectly in the in the footprint of downtown, and uh, it'll be a, an exciting time for us to move into that building. Um, from a business standpoint, it's going to provide us with uh, 7,000 more seats than we have now, quite a few more club seats than we presently have. So it'll make us a little more competitive. Right now, we're the um, lowest capacity in the league by far, by about 8,000 seats. So that's going to help us to some degree in terms of competitiveness because, as you know, uh, cash is king in the free agency right. market. And if you can generate more cash from your stadium, uh, you remain more competitive. Um, and uh, most importantly, it's going to be a great addition for Indianapolis. Um, it frees up the uh, area right now that is occupied by the RCA Dome to become convention center space, and that's going to help us add conventions that we lost in the past because our space was too limited to accommodate them. And believe it or not, we are a very um, uh, frequent and good convention uh, uh, site. People like to come here, and uh, so we needed the convention space. Secondly, it's allowed us, because of uh, our proximity to the NCAA offices, which are about uh, 20 blocks from where I sit right now, um, to work a deal with them whereby we will have a major NCAA event uh, in the building, whether it be women's Final Four, men's Final Four, uh, uh, regional finals, uh, NCAA convention, things of that nature, uh, every year for, uh, through, 19, uh, through 2035, excuse me, so um, it will be an important site, uh, and particularly for the men's Final Four. And there are lots of people in the basketball community who, uh, who have said the Final Four to be in Indianapolis every year. Well, that's not feasible, but this building allows us to host it on a regular basis uh, going forward, and we're going to do that, and, and that's, that's a real positive. Uh, it's also capable of hosting national political conventions and events of that type. Uh, we've been in a running for some of those in the past and haven't had a building big enough and modern enough to handle it. So I think that's something that's uh, on the horizon. So in the end, it turns out to be a win-win both for the Colts and for the city and, and a boon to the economy of the city. And, uh, but, of course, from our perspective, uh, we're looking forward to moving into it next year. Bill, last question. Uh, you've had an incredible career thus far. What are you most proud of? Gosh, I, I'm not one on you know who's big on on, on retrospectives. Um, uh, I guess I'll do that whenever I retire, which sure. isn't going to be anytime soon. Uh, but I guess the, con- the consistent winning over time, probably. If you ask me to pick one thing, our teams have have been competitive uh, and and consistent winners over time. And, and I think the quality of, of the people, uh, which doesn't speak to me, it speaks to their quality, but the quality of people we've had, you know, the, the Bruce Smiths, the, the Thurman Thomases, the Jim Kellys, the Marv Levy's, the Tony Dungy's, the Peyton Manning's, the Marvin Harrison's, uh, you know, they're, they're all great people as well as Hall of Fame players. So, um, uh, you know, you can't help but, but feel good about that, and I, I feel that's not my doing. I'm just very blessed to have been associated with people like that. I will 
um, have spent the bulk of my career, um, however much longer it goes, with uh, with two Hall of Fame coaches, Marv Levy and Tony Dungy. You don't get any luckier than that. Bill, again, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time. I'm a big admirer of yours, and I wish you the best of luck in the NFL playoffs this year. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being with you. You take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the best of Sports Business Radio, looking back on some of our best interviews of the past year. College football and the NFL season underway. We will address that in more detail, talk about the business of college football and the NFL when we're back with you live next week. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. Our guest, Pete Carroll, the head football coach of USC, Jeff Maw. He's with ProTrade.com if you want to check him out. He is the focal point of the major motion picture 21. And Bill Polian, the GM of the Indianapolis Colts, one of the brightest minds in the NFL. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you live next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.